When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to another re-release of our TSFP Presents series Cult Heroes. This week we're talking about two players with two big legacies at two Madrid-based clubs. One player's name is sung in the seventh minute of every game at the Bernabeu and the other player's name adorns the magnificent Estadio de Vallecas. Both are known just by their first names. We're talking this week about Juanito and Willy. Hello patrons, welcome to TSFP Presents Cult Heroes. It's the second episode of the season and we're talking about two players today who are defined by their first names and not even their first names, sort of nicknames derived from their first names. Two players from two clubs in the same city, two very different men, two very different clubs, but two uh, intriguing characters. We're talking about Juanito and Willy. Juanito being Juan Gomez, the Real Madrid legend, and Willy being Wilfred Agbonavbare, the Rayo Vallecano legendary goalkeeper. We'll start off by talking about Juanito, who I think most people listening might have an idea of who he is. They might never have played, watched him play. They might, they might never really know what position he was. But you've heard the name Juanito, or you might have done. I hadn't before really moving to Spain. I don't know about you, Al. I was just going to say the only thing I knew about him really before doing <laughs> the research for recording this podcast right. was the name. The fact that his name is still sung every single game in the seventh minute at the Bernabeu and that he was, uh, you know, a really good player in the 80s. But I didn't know much else. And I have to say, when you start reading up, I mean, we're doing, you know, half a podcast on him here. Yeah. You could do a whole podcast series on Juanito anecdotes. There is so much, so many things happened in this guy's life and and career, even though it was, of course, tragically cut short. Yeah. And that's uh, one one of the other things, of course, that, that links these two players is both of them died young um that i think probably probably reinforces the the myth a little bit reinforces yes. the legend that, that the fact they went both both went far too soon um willie had cancer and, and juanita was in, was in a car crash as indeed of course very famously was one of his teammates laurie cunningham um and also a bit like we were talking about with um with mahigong athalith in the in the last program these are guys who, who probably in part are important because they seem to kind of define their clubs. Yes, very much so. Uh, I think certainly Juanito and the very famous spirit of Juanito has come to kind of symbolise what Real Madrid is about. And I remember speaking on another podcast about what is Real Madrid's identity or what is Real Madrid's, you know, yeah, what is their identity? I think their identity is this sort of epic comeback, fighting until the end, we never give up, all this. And that is symbolised by Juanito and his... um, his uh, his spirit. Well, and in, in, incarnated in in a phrase. Yes, and that, that's that's the fundamental thing here. That, that this starts with a game against Inter Milan, in which Real Madrid had been beaten in the in the first 
game and Juanito is coming off the pitch and he says in what he takes to be Italian which very much like our Italian is really just Spanish with an Italian accent he says look out because 90 minutes 90 minuti in el Bernabeu son molto longo is very very long because he was saying you know we will have time to bring this back and they did and this this kind of was the forging of this whole legend it actually starts with Derby County um, in 76 I think it is this is the forging of that idea that Real Madrid will come back I must say at this point even though we're doing a podcast about Juanito and even though we're talking about his spirit and about how that is seen as the embodiment of Real Madrid, I think in the last seven or eight years, too much has been made of it. I think it's been taken to a point that has become actually embarrassing for his family himself, so much so that, that members of his family pretty much said, look, please leave him alone. Um, to, I mean, they did the, a seance. Well, that's it. I mean, for, for those who don't know, they did, uh, Mark, not Marker, Ass did a, a Ouija ball seance calling on the spirit of Juanito to help us. And every time Real Madrid needed a second leg comeback, they would say, the spirit of Juanito. And actually, over the last decade, the spirit of Juanito has failed every time. But that team did it again and again. Hmm. In terms of what he was like as a player, we'll get to what he was like maybe as a person because <laughs> <laughs> there are quite a few off the field antics. Uh, in terms of what he was like as a player, I mean, he, he was a good player. Do you think But he's not a legend because of the player that he Only was? Only he's extraordinarily successful. I mean, here are, the, here are some stats. Okay. Some Juanito stats. He was 10 years a Real Madrid player. Uh, he played 401 official games, 121 goals, 34 Spain caps, uh, went to two World Cups with, with Spain. He was Pichichi in La Liga in 1984. Won five league titles, two Copas del Rey, two UEFA Cups. I mean, those that's pretty good. Yes, but yeah. that is not enough to get the kind of status that he has. You touched upon it before, Al. Every single game at the Bernabeu, in the seventh minute, there is this chant and it goes up and it sounds a bit like this. That is them singing, Ia, 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 Juanito Maravilla, and it begins a chant every single game. For someone who is not their top scorer in the history, he hasn't got the most number of caps, uh, appearances. I mean, he was a good player, very good player, but he wasn't the best player. A lot of good players have been at Real Madrid. But So why has he become this legend? At the risk of sounding very blunt, uh, as we mentioned earlier, in part because he dies young. Um, because, as well, the, the circumstances of his death are that he's the coach of Medellin at the time. He brings a load of his team to Madrid to watch Real Madrid play against Torino in European competition. As a as a reward to those players for playing well, and as a if you like a, a symbol of the fact that his connection to Real Madrid ran deep, so he dies coming to watch Real Madrid effectively as a fan. That reinforces that. But fundamentally, it's about that personality, and this is someone who, frankly, was a little bit nuts at times. Was was incredibly committed, um, would completely lose his head at times, and we'll come on to some of these stories in a minute. That was fantastically skillful. You watch some of the videos of it, mm. it's genuinely hugely impressive running at people going beyond them he was a winger that scored a lot of goals because he could cut inside he could also provide a huge amount of crosses in particular for Santillana who was brilliant in the air and they became very very close but it was about that 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 sort of touch of madness and it was also about the way that he said things you know this is a guy that said had I not been a player I'd have been an ultra sore um, who claimed to be a Real Madrid big Real Madrid fan although suspect he might actually have been an Atletico Madrid fan who was furious with them. Well, he was a, he was Atletico youth product, yeah. of course. They let him go, I think, at 17 because of some injury problems. And he was so annoyed that he... There's a quote he said, 
like Atleti Nokia on Nivello. Like I don't want to yeah. know anything about Atletico Madrid. He hated them. Yeah. Still could have gone could have gone to Barca, could have gone to Valencia, ended up going to, to Real Madrid and like you say, became an icon. And I think that I think that that, that sense of being rejected by Atletico Madrid is partly what drove it obviously as well you've got to look at the the era that he's part of so as you say this is not a hu- in Real Madrid terms maybe not a huge su- hugely successful era but actually it is in terms of winning league titles it's the Madrid that got came to be known as the Madrid of the Garcias which because they had uh, Garcia Noblejas Garcia Navaja uh, Garcia Cortés they had a lot of Garcias yeah and essentially it's like calling them the, the, the Manchester United Smiths and, and and in a way there's this there's this joy in this because these are local Spanish guys and it's it's a very kind of earthy team if you like but at the same time there's a little bit of like yeah not that good hmm. a bit grey and Del Bosco always talks about this as being a team that he felt was treated with aprecio and desprecio at the same time this idea that you know that people were affectionate towards us because we were one of them but at the same time like yeah just a bunch of local boys and then it kind of segues into the Quinta and the Quinta defines a generation in a way that this doesn't but he plays with them briefly because of course he eventually gets overtaken by by Emilio de Brugge-Guenio, who takes his number seven shirt and so I think there is a sense that this is if you like, it's the first Real Madrid of the democratic era. It's the bridge between the, the Franco era and the democratic era. There's a sense that he represents something of the old Madrid in with the new Madrid at the same time. And I think there's an element of that. And, and as I say, that comeback thing is really a really big part of this. And when you hear some of those guys who were his teammates talk, they, they, they are, they've gone on to be massive characters in Spanish football, the likes of Del Bosque, mm. the likes of Camacho. There is so much affection yes. and love there. Uh, you see Michel talking about him as well. And these guys, when they're telling these stories and these anecdotes, you know, they'll, they'll be laughing and you can just, you can really, it really transmits just how much there's a, he meant to them as a teammate, even if he was a bit of a handful at times. There's a lovely line from Jorge Valdano when Jorge Valdano is, 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 is talking about him and he says, he says, you, you have this, right? This, this is a quote. Juan was the, the, the lead role in a Bernabeu, which was like kind of a, an opera but an opera for the working classes. So he was this kind of character in the middle of it all. And the other thing he said is he talks about how um, Juanito loses head and, we'll, and say we'll come up to some of those the specific examples in a minute. He said, but it happened so many times, but Valdano's quote is, but if you put them all together, there's probably only half a minute of anger in his entire life. Because what happened is he'd lose his head, he'd do something absolutely crazy, and within a second he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then he would... Then he would regret this for months and months and years afterwards. In fact, there's some great footage of him apologising for one of his uh, most famous indiscretions, uh, which we'll come on to again. And he actually says, um, in my career, there have been two me's. Yes. You know, he acknowledges this sort of Jekyll and Hyde type thing, except it's not quite Jekyll and Hyde because that same kind of competitive spirit is what made him both good and so frequently cross the line as yeah. well. You can't, you know, it's one of those where, like people would say about someone like Diego Costa, you can't take that out of him because he then wouldn't be the, wouldn't be the, the player that he was. Yeah. Uh, we've mentioned some of these incidents. Yeah. I think it's time we, we, we spoke about them in a little bit more uh, Is it more worth depth? listing them first? Because as a list, it's really quite impressive. I mean, there are so many. It's, it's, I mean, maybe we'll take them in chronological order. Oh, God, then, yeah. Let's do it quite chronological. Um, yeah, early like on it. in his career, 1978... Uh, he received a two-year ban from UEFA, who in those days, you know, the punishments were pretty severe. And this related to an incident in Zurich in the European Cup. It was the second round. They were playing against grasshoppers in Zurich. Uh, Madrid won the first leg 3-1. They um, lost the second leg 2-0 with a controversial late goal. And basically, Juanito, he basically almost headbutted the linesman. Mm. And he then, when the final whistle went, he chased the referee down the tunnel and sort of, well... The referee said that he pushed him or jostled him or something. Uh, Juanito denied this and he said, 
I didn't touch him. I just called him a son of a whore. And he said, that's normal. In Spain, we do it to all the referees. <laughs> I don't and think I, that defence helped him out. In no, I'm not sure it did. And, and I, I think Santiana's recollection of this was, I, I, I felt a fist go over my shoulder and connect with the referee. So, <laughs> not sure if it was just calling him names. So, yeah, for that, he got a two-year ban. I think it was reduced to 14 months on, on appeal. Um, oh, that's all right. So, I mean, for many players, that would be the most severe punishment they ever received in their career. Not the case uh, when it came to, to a, Juanito, a Juanito later on. And in fact, you know, this sort of bookends his Real Madrid career because much later on, the incident which kind of well, either coincided with the end of his Real Madrid career or it was a, a, it, a contributor to, yeah. his, to the end of his career. Um, he stamped on the head of Lota Mateos when and Real Madrid was playing against Bayern. go and see it, Bayern. by the way, because it really is a stamp. It's not, you know, he's standing there and he accidentally treads yeah. on him. He, no, he, he, brings he, runs his... o- he runs over. So the foul, Mateos had fouled Chendo. Chendo pushed him over. So Mateos is on the floor. And Juanita runs over, first, like, stamps on his back. Yes, because he does and, it twice. And then stamps, has another go and stamps on his head. I mean, it is, genuinely, you watch it, it is really hard to watch, like, it's it's chilling, and that and it was that that afterwards that he apologised for and said, look, I I don't know what I was doing, but yeah, for that he was banned for five years by UEFA from European competition. Like as I say, that was part of the reason that he ended up uh, leaving Real Madrid. Some more? Do you want another one? Do you want yeah, Stelica? Yes, I mean that is extraordinary, especially given the fact that this is a guy who was they were teammates for many years, but they hated each other. Because, when was that? Because you get the impression they their characters were so kind of diametrically opposed. I mean, I'm, I'm reluctant to go down the, um, the, 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 the racial stereotype route here. But, but it is tempting to, to see it in racial stereotype terms. And I know that certainly some of Juanito's teammates saw it in racial stereotype terms. You've got this hot-headed Mediterranean type against this very cool, calculated German. And they just did not like each other. So when they play against each other... And actually, in fairness, there is a really appalling challenge that starts it all. Right. And Juanito and Stilica face up to each other and Juanito spits in. <gasps> That's almost worse than stamping on Lota Mateos. Now, this is a long say. debate. I, I think spitting is not worse, but I understand the kind of the disgust factor makes makes people really recoil. I think in football, it, there's... Yeah, uh, and yet, obviously, like you're not going to do anything do like it. as much damage with that as stamping on someone's face. And, and this, was, this was photographed, and the photo of Stilica with spit on his face I think it was on you know it was in the papers the next day and Stilica came out and said you know what am I supposed to say to my son about yeah. you know this guy who's just gone and, and spat in your face although apparently Stilica tells a story where I think a month after this or something he was on the beach down down Malaga way bumped into Juanito and they made their peace yeah. So there was sort of a. When he says bumped into, into him, I, I I like to imagine they literally bumped into each other had a bit of a fight and then had, had their peace over over a beer Wow, so this guy, I mean, he does sound quite nuts. Quite yeah, um, there's also a... another one, which yeah. isn't quite on the same level, but along a similar vein, playing for Spain yeah. uh, in the former Yugoslavia. I think this was in the late in 70s. Yeah, in Belgrade. Um, it was a, a tempestuous match. Have the you Yugoslavs... seen the footage, by the way? There's, yeah. a, there's a footage of the kickoff. The ball gets played from one Spanish player to another Spanish player, and that Spanish player... Almost, get, almost gets broken in half by a slide tackle Some from of the Yugoslav. Clearly, clearly the plan is kill the first guy and he just about rides it. Clearly the game was horrific. There was a lot of bad blood in this game. Anyway, Juanito is coming off the pitch. I think he's been substituted. Yes, he, he is, yeah. And he, he gestures to the crowd basically trying to wind up the crowd. He does a thumbs down. I mean, it's so childish. Yeah. He, does, he walks off the pitch doing a thumbs down. And the That's crowd a... responds by uh, chucking a bottle at his head and he gets hit, hit in the head with a bottle and he goes, I mean, he goes down Luckily, he's okay. There's not, but at the time when it actually happens, when he's being treated, 
you're like, this looks really, they, really serious. This guy could be killed. And then there's all sorts of other stories about he had terrible financial problems. He opened a sports shop, which was which was failed horribly. He had a, a very, very, very messy, messy divorce, ended up completely skint at one point. He got taken on by the Barcelona president who thought that his divorce was hilariously funny and decided to try and make capital of this and that ended up in court between him and the Barcelona president at the time Nunez there was a famous quote I think I can't remember if it was Nunez now or Gaspar he's number two at Barcelona who described Juanito as that man who leaves pregnant women on every corner Mm. Um, clearly there was a lot going on and teammates say that during that period you could genuinely he'd walk into the dressing room in the morning think okay avoid him today and he was his his mood was up and down. Mm. He did seem to get fined a lot as well, which may have contributed to those financial problems. Um, there was a famous night out in Milan where he ended up in a hotel room with a couple of uh, ladies. He was fined by the club for for that. It's the thing about um, bullfighting. He yeah. was because he was he was so Spanish. He loved his bullfighting. Right. Unsurprisingly, football players aren't allowed to take part in bullfighting because you no. know, there are some health risks attached for everybody. I mean, for the for <laughs> particularly the ball for the and, ball. For, the, and yeah. for the player. Um, but apparently, at one point, he was he was he was annoyed with the club because he wasn't getting picked enough or something like that. So he decides to basically watch this on the team bus to provoke them. So come on, he then, puts look. on a video of him bullfighting on the team bus <laughs> in front of the club directors, wow. and naturally gets a massive fine. Yeah. So I mean I, I don't know if there's anything more we can say about uh, about this sort of whole slightly bizarre well, I can, I can, crazy I can, scenario. You can tell why he was a cult hero then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he was a madman. Yes, he was completely completely utterly nuts. He went by the way down to Malaga and brought them up. Yes. Second division and brought them up and just just extraordinary um performances there. And then as I say when 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 he did die in that car crash there was, you know, even that reinforced this idea that he symbolized Madrid because he was in Madrid to watch them play. Mm. Can we talk about one of the best moments for me uh, which again ties in with this the comeback thing and it's the famous game against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Right. Uh, one of Real Madrid's great all-time comebacks. They'd lost the first leg 5-1. I yeah, think, yes, away yeah, from home. Yes. It comes back to the Bernabeu and they do it. Yeah. They score, I think they score the fourth goal late on, but they've gone 4-0 up. They are going to complete this incredible comeback. And basically in the 90th minute, Juanito gets subbed off. And his reaction to being subbed off is unlike anything I think I've, I've, I've ever seen. I've never seen a player leave the pitch in this fashion. He is quite literally, and normally people say this, it's an exaggeration, but no, literally... Jumping for joy. <laughs> yes, yeah. he's running off the pitch, kind of skipping, jumping in the air, yeah. punching in the air. It's amazing. It's it like David Plute. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Very much like David Plute. Didn't it always work, though? Because the other famous celebration of Juanito, which went horribly wrong in 1983, Juanito actually scored in the Cup Winners' Cup final against Aberdeen, which Real Madrid lost. lost. That was the year that Real Madrid lost everything. On the final day of the season, as we've talked about this, I think, in regions and rivalries. Um, yes, it, it definitely. Or, or, no, classic teams, we talked about it. Yeah, that's right. On the Super final, seasons, fi- maybe, fi- or something. Final, final day. Um, he says, if we win the league, I will walk, I will do a lap of honour on my knees. So he does a lap of honour on his knees. He's going down the tunnel. There's a great photograph on him on his knees, going down the tunnel on the knees, thinking that Real Madrid have just won the league. And there's a last minute winner from Real Sociedad and Madrid haven't won the league at all. Ah, Juanito. If you're going to construct an elaborate celebration, (laughs) at least get it right. (laughs) So there we go. Juan Gomez, Juanito, cult hero of Real Madrid, and, and he is a, a Real Madrid legend. But now I think you've got a Yeah, a so next time you're at the Bernabeu and you hear them chanting his name in the seventh minute, now you know the reason they're doing it. You certainly do. 
let's move on because we've got to talk about Willy. Uh, Wilfred uh, Agbonavare. I always have trouble with that. That's just to say Willy, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to sure say Willy. That's, that's from what the Rio fans thought, wasn't it? When they yes. were yeah. choosing a nickname. So he played for Rio for six years between 1990 and, and 1996. They were in the uh, Segunda División when, when he joined. He took them up to the uh, Primera División. I mean, he had some good times with Rio. Remember, this is Rio Vallecano, who people. I think you know the essence of Raya, but if you don't, they are a club in working-class barrio of Madrid, and it's very much a stadium within the neighbourhood. It is part mm. of the neighbourhood. It sort of defines the neighbourhood and defined by the neighbourhood as well. And a neighbourhood that sees itself as, as distinct from the rest of Madrid, almost sees itself as an... It's the independent republic of Vallecas, isn't it? It's not yes. just a part of Madrid. It's the independent republic. So much as maybe certain players, as we mentioned in the other podcast Mágico González was very much built for Cadiz and their sort of laid-back jovial way of life and Gaisca Toquero was very Basque and that's why he was embraced and Juanito was very Spanish and that's why he was embraced by Real Madrid. Well, because you have this Nigerian goalkeeper who comes to this very sort of uh, open-minded liberal, left-leaning part of Madrid, he was embraced as well. I'm not saying he was embraced because he was black or because he was Nigerian. No, but it helped the the, the symbolism of this is what we believe in. We believe yes. in welcoming people like yes. you. We believe in, in bringing you in and making you part of what we are because actually through you we express what we are. Yes. And I think there's, def there's definitely an element of that and also a pretty good goalkeeper. So the penalty save is amazing. There's a video of a penalty save against Real Madrid I mean, 93 I think it yeah, is. Th th these were probably, in fact probably the, his two best moments in his Rio career came against Real Madrid and both came in the same season it was 92-93 and Rio at that time were coached by, by Camacho who we've mentioned in this pod already and Madrid by Benito Floro uh, in December Rio beat Madrid 2-0 in Vallecas and Willie made a series of saves um, he said it was the best the best day of his of his career and then in May they drew one all at the Bernabeu Willie saves Michel's penalty and Madrid of course went on to lose the league to Barcelona by a point and it is such a good penalty save. Yeah, like, there's not a, much wrong with the penalty. Stretch. No, it's a yeah. really good. It's, yeah. it's a low, well-struck penalty, and he still still saves it. But no, in terms of his quality, like you say, this is Rio in the 90s, and this was a Nigerian international goalkeeper. You know, he went to the 94 World Cup in a Nigeria squad with people like Akocha and Infinity George, and that was know, a great Nigerian. Team. Admittedly, yeah. he didn't. I mean, play. he wasn't the first yeah. choice goalkeeper, but he was capped by by Nigeria, which for Rio at that point made him a good player. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, we're, we're in the context of these two purely as players, they're there on totally different planets in terms of what they symbolise yes. they are as well. I and mean, this is a guy that retires at 31 basically because no one wants him anymore. You know, he'd been at Ethica, um, and you know, he's not a superstar, but it is about the symbolism. And to take it back to Real Madrid, some of the footage, I mean, I was going to say go and have a look at it, but I actually think it's, it's so grotesque. They almost don't want you to go and look at it, but there's some footage of him playing against Real Madrid and I think it might be that 93 season but I've got a feeling it's actually the season before from 92 and the racist abuse he gets is absolutely mind-blowing even when and we sort of talked a little bit about this before we started recording even when you say okay it's the early 90s it's in that kind of environment but even then it's still totally mind-blowing and some of the chanting is, is grotesque but the one of the things that's really really particularly horrible about it is that some of the desperately racist things that are said about him are said about him on TV cameras with a man with a microphone effectively doing the post-match Vox Pop and it is so 
ridden with hatred and it's so kind of I mean it's not just you know a remark that can be construed as racist it is outright I mean, a lot even yeah, no, to it, find the worst. It's, it's the worst kind of. It's of it's we, literally we should kill this guy because he's black. It's it's that level of racism. It's the, and and it's just so so horrible. And obviously, what this does, as I say, is it comes back to this idea of why is it that he's taken under? Why is it that he becomes a, a Rio kind of symbol? In part because they see him as the symbol of their own ongoing fight. That at a time when people think it's okay to talk this way, at a time when racism, we're the club that stands against it, or at least we're the group of fans that stand against it. So through him, we have someone a to protect but also someone to project this idea and so he becomes if you like a, a a statement of intent for them as well and of course that's what he says those are the words on that mural of his face which you'll see if you go to the stadium in, in Vallecas it's not just about what he meant for Rio it says it's about thank you for, for your fight against racism yeah although curiously enough um the there's an interview with him after that Real Madrid game in which he basically says well you know I'm I'm dark-skinned and I'm an opponent and I play in football and it's to be expected. Yeah. And there, so there isn't really a fight as such. He's the, he's the target of it and the victim of it, but it's not a fight. Although there is a certain, and this is difficult because obviously, you know, I've never been in this situation. There's a certain dignity in his acceptance of it, even if that's an uncomfortable dignity. Well, or maybe it's a, maybe it's enforced. It's almost acceptance. like the environment at that time was such. Did that not allow I think for a he response. felt like yeah. he, he had to, like his, you know, when when that microphone was thrust under his under his nose and he was asked about it, I I get the impression he felt like he had to shrug it off and say, yeah. "Oh, you know, don't don't worry, it's it, part of the game." It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because you want him to say, you want him to call this out, you want him to fight for this, you want him to. But of course, as I say, through him or perhaps through his the fact that he can't, he then becomes a, the vehicle or symbol through which Rivai kind of fans do. Yeah, and in his own way, you know, just by getting on with it and playing and doing well and trying to ignore it that was maybe his way of fighting it because at that time 1992 people weren't calling this kind of stuff no exactly and also there's there's a personality element to this and so this is another area where he's totally totally different to Juanito yes. so if you've got this environment which you know teammates of Juanito say that he would play cards and he would throw the table across the room and if he lost he would completely lose his head um Cotta who, who's actually got the restaurant underneath the stand at Rio you know one of the club's great legends said you never, ever, ever saw him angry with anyone. He was completely placid. He was totally laid back. Part of his problem at times was that he was too trusting. He lost a lot of money because he would trust anyone who came near him, who chatted to him. And actually, that's similar to Juanito. Juanito was a bit trusting as well. And so there's a there's a real warmth for him from teammates. Not, I would actually say, I think, reading between the lines, maybe not really close friendship, but mm. a warmth for this guy that they felt, you know, he was never problematic for anyone. He was gentle and he was kind and he was nice to everybody I was watching the press conference with Paco Hemis um, and it was just after Willie had died and Paco Hemis was in charge of Rio of course and had been a teammate of Willie mm. and was asked about this and he spoke quite movingly just saying you know no one deserves to die young of course but he was saying Willie really didn't deserve this he, he was the the nicest person and we have to say of course you know his story has a pretty sad ending because having been a player at that time he wasn't earning much money he didn't become a rich man Apparently, the money that he had, he ended up spending on. I think his wife also suffered from cancer and he lost it paying for her treatment. And he ended up doing a series of, of menial jobs. He was a, a baggage handler at Madrid's Barajas Airport. Yeah, he was working for MRW, which is like a, what would you call it? It's a it's a courier company. And so he was yeah. the guy kind of handling the, the, the 
or the, the packages that were coming into Madrid Airport and sorting them out. There's an amazing video. Well, I, I suppose it's amazing with hindsight, but there's a video of him doing that job with a reporter, I think, from La Sexta TV and just explaining to this is what your job is. This is why it's important. He's preparing all the packages for the delivery, working through the night at the airport. And this is a guy who's played for Rio Vallecano. And as he says then, well, you know, those were different days. These days you have two good years and you're rich and you're set up for life. But as you say, he, what little money he'd had, he'd lost because because of his wife having cancer and, and spending on it. And then the other tragic element of this is that obviously he knew he was dying, but he didn't necessarily tell a lot of people, so they didn't actually have the time to prepare for it. He hadn't seen his children for 10 years. And Raya, when they knew that the, the end was coming, tried to arrange for his children to come and see him before he died. And there'd been problems with the visa, and they arrived the day after he passed away. So so he was never able to see his children at the end. And I think even that, that sort of sense of him being an anti-hero, that sense of him being a normal man, a sufferer, someone who didn't have money, someone who wasn't flash in any way, someone who wasn't a typical footballer, and then ultimately someone who, you know, who, I say paid the ultimate price is the worst, not the right phrase, but, you know, someone who who passed away young. I think, in a way, that makes it even more part of this kind of construction of, a, of an identity that, that Ryo have. Absolutely. I mean, that video that you mentioned with him, uh, with the La Sexta reporter, it's very sad. Yeah. It's very sad. And, and yet he's he is relentlessly chirpy all the way through it. Although he does say life is hard a few times. But there's a, there's a, I don't but know about relentlessly chirpy. Well, okay. I mean, there's definitely a sadness no, okay, about him. A, and he was saying, he but said, there's a gentle acceptance. Don't you think about him? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a kindness about him. I guess him. so. Yeah, there's a kindness, definitely. But he's saying, yeah, you know, dignity is what yeah. I mean is he's not, he's not moaning. He's, he's not, not moaning. He's not moaning about it at all. No, but no, 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 no. He's not moaning. But it's sad to see somebody yeah. in that situation. My wife's died. My kids are studying in Nigeria. I am, he said, you're completely Yes, yes, I'm completely alone mm. here. And that's sad to see. But you're right. He didn't, he wasn't wallowing in it. He was just accepting it. And he said, life is hard. You've got to work. You know, you've got to work hard. And he was taking that job very seriously. He was explaining to the reporter. I mean, that's the amazing bit about it, is it? He's, he's explaining to the reporter why it matters that you do it this way, why you've got to put the, the package in the right place, why it can't, because then it costs the company a lot of money and you've got to do this right. I think subsequent, obviously, to his death, he has perhaps assumed a role within Rio supporters and the, the cult. Folkloric, hasn't it? It yeah. has become folkloric. Obviously, yeah. we mentioned that mural, which is by Gate One, which is where the Bucaneros behind the goals sit at the Stadio Vallecas. That gate is actually named after him yes. now. So it's Gate One, but it's also the Eternal Willy uh, Gate. So um, go and check it out uh, because it is in Madrid and uh, it's uh, it's well worth seeing. And he does remain a cult hero for Rio Vallecano fans. I think that's it, guys. I think we've touched upon quite a lot uh, in this episode of uh, Cult Heroes. Not necessarily, obviously, the most upbeat of episodes because both members died. But, you know, it was definitely worth doing. And I think they're two very important uh, characters in, in Spanish football and certainly very important to their respective fan bases. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of TSFP Presents Cult Heroes. So make sure you join us then. Adios. Cheerio. Bye. Me pongo la blanca del 7 y no muere el genio. Impulsos de un corazón tan grande y tan pequeño. Una botella volando y un pisotón. Un paseíto nocturno. Europa no le entendió. Era un torero en el fútbol. Se hace la ola de Chamartín hasta Fuengirola. De regate y filigrana se la pone a Santillana. Y ya, y ya, y ya, Juanito Mara.